I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Live Mike. Here we are, 121 is the time. Temperature outside, 44 degrees. I can see a little bit of blue sky peeking out through these clouds. That's not so bad. If you remember, last year, we had some difficulty, let's say, throughout this country. We were, of course, dealing with the pandemic. And in the midst of that, there arose, well, quite a bit of attention to some inequities perceived throughout this country. And you saw cities throughout uh, the United States, uh, specifically the the mayors and police chiefs, uh, starting different commissions or study groups or uh, bringing together individuals uh, and tasking them with looking inward, looking in at the, the city, the municipality, and the various law enforcement agencies to see if uh, the claims being made around the country in protests uh, were in fact true for those cities. And Salt Lake was uh, no exception. There was the creation of the Salt Lake City Racial Equity in Policing Commission that uh, came together last year. Uh, one of the members of that commission was uh, Reverend France Davis, Pastor Emeritus of Calvary Baptist Church. Uh, the, the other day when this commission r- released its first report uh, containing a handful of recommendations, we, we called over to uh, Reverend Davis and asked uh, just some general questions on on the occasion of the release of this report. He said that ideally the police officers assigned to an area, one of the, one of the points he made, uh, Reverend Davis said that ideally the police officers assigned to an area uh, should be from that area and know it well. The best case scenario would be to have people from Rose Park, familiar with Rose Park, those two city, uh, familiar with Central City, and that they get some kind of uh, formal training uh, for the area in which they're going to be serving. And if they're going to serve the whole city, then, of course, that means training about who makes up the clientele in the entire city. Reverend Davis also pointed out that if change is going to happen, it it certainly won't happen all at once. This is a long-term project. It's not going to happen overnight, uh, but we're working on making sure that Salt Lake City continues to have the best policing uh, in the country. Reverend Davis, along with the other members of this commission, delivered on the second of this month uh, the first report plus recommendations to the mayor of Salt Lake City, Aaron Mendenhall. And the mayor joins us on the line now. Mayor Mendenhall, welcome to the program. How are you? Thanks for having me on. I'm happy to be here. You uh, you, you received this uh, six-page report not all that long ago. I, I presume you've certainly been through it. Uh, I'll ask you uh, first out, were you, were you satisfied by what you received? Yes, absolutely. And this is the beginning of the commission's work, as you mentioned. This is still in process, and uh, great community members like Reverend France Davis and others are still at this work. So this is the first of what will probably be several reports we receive and we are very happy with the recommendations they brought to us. 
What is your plan going forward with these recommendations? We can start with the first of the the three. There were demographic concerns related to specifically the field training officers. Yeah, that's right. Our our increasing diversity in the field training officer program has to start with increasing diversity in the department as a whole, and that starts with our better recruitment efforts. We have a, a current class right now of 26 recruits, 10 of which are ethnically diverse. And our Explorer program, which is a youth engagement program introducing policing to uh, youth across Salt Lake City, is has done a particularly awesome job in reaching populations that might not traditionally have thought of law enforcement as something um, accessible to them. We're doing more in that regard, and HR in Salt Lake City and our police department are working together on what those recruitment strategies could entail to improve it. But the FTO program, the field training officer program, is totally voluntary, and I think it's important that it is so. We want our officers to self-select for the program because not everyone has the right skill set to be a field training officer, and we don't want a situation where we require an officer to be an FTO because she or he has certain ethnic makeup, uh, and they may not actually want to be in that role and provide those new officers with a great experience. But that said, we will be examining whether our officers of color feel that serving as an FTO is something accessible to them. And if not, why not? We have to make sure that that program is accessible to all of our officers and eliminate any barriers that may be there today. You mentioned diversity being a goal, increased diversity. It is brought up in this report as an area of concern, uh, and there are certain recommendations for that. I guess I would, though, ask, uh, just taking a step backwards, is there is there a quantifiable uh, objective when it comes to diversity? Do you want the makeup of the police force and the various uh, organizations within the force to be reflective of the demographic demographic makeup of the areas they patrol? Or, or how do you know when you've reached this goal? You know, a department uh, as large as ours in particular, and it's probably true for departments across the state, need flexibility within their department um, because changes happen, crises happen, and officers don't usually work in the same area throughout their entire career, although it's not unheard of. So in Salt Lake City, I think uh, as a, at a minimum, we should be looking at a police department overall that reflects the population that we serve. But we know all, as we dig deeper, which the commission is doing with our police department hand-in-hand, hand, looking at our uh, specialty training divisions and seeing that there's Uh, even less diversity in our specialty training divisions than there is in the department as a whole. So, you know, why is that? What, again, asking those questions of our officers of color about whether or not they feel there's barriers to them accessing or wanting to do that kind of um, specialized work. If so, what can we do to improve that? And then, again, how can we increase our recruitment of people from our diverse communities in Salt Lake? I see. Uh, Second area of concern uh, communicated via the report delivered to you by this commission uh, deals with the crisis intervention teams and there being some shortcomings in the training that goes into those teams. What are your thoughts on that, and are there specific plans to remedy that, If, if you agree with the concerns delivered in the report? Yeah, we we definitely, to begin with, take a lot of pride that Salt Lake City requires uh, the crisis intervention training of all of our officers in the beginning of their work, um, which is something unique to our police department. I think it's something other departments are now moving toward. 
Um, but making sure that our laterals have that training as well. You know, when we hire an officer from another department somewhere else in the state, they should be trained. And that seems like a no-brainer, and that's a recommendation that came from the commission. Um, we need to make sure that all of our officers are trained in the methods and what those expectations are for the way our officers um, engage with our public. So they also made some, some recommendations around increasing or reallocating police budget to be able to complete that priority um, and so as we're working, even with the commission, we're working at the same time on a zero-based budgeting approach It's being done as we speak. And I think it's going to help us get a really clear picture of how the police department's budget should be constructed to be able to afford and actually see the outcomes that are expected of the department. Um, the, uh, in a nutshell, zero-based budgeting doesn't look at what you spent last year or the year before that. It looks at the job you need to do today and what your goals are going forward, and then build the budget to be able to fulfill those needs. All righty. Uh, our time has expired, Mayor. Uh, I could chat with you all day about this stuff. Look forward to the, the release <laughs> of any uh, subsequent reports and also action that your office may take uh, in response to the recommendations. Uh, thank you again for your time. Thanks for making time for me. 100%. Uh, all righty. There you have it, uh, Mayor Mendenhall discussing some of the recommendations contained within the first report delivered to her office by the Racial Equity and Policing Commission that came together uh, just this past summer after all the unrest we witnessed across this country. Uh, quick break. When we return, you heard earlier I mentioned 12% of Utahns hesitant to receive the vaccine. Well, within those 12%, some of the, some of the reasons are, are surprising, including a fear of needles. Yeah. We'll get into that in just a moment, plus look at that question around the country and around the world, individuals and uh, their willingness to get uh, the vaccine. You know very well, I'm on Team Vaccine. Uh, we'll talk to the other group next on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.